Real Goddess, Discovering Your Divine Destiny by Cherie Sandal. Episode 7, Overgiving and Overwhelm. Real Goddess is the most important thing you can know about in your life. And because I believe it so strongly, my goal is to awaken one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny. A wise man said that in this current day and age, women will be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways, and that a large gathering of women will rise up in strong numbers, dividing the wicked from the good. And I'm here to rope you in, sister. This episode will discuss both overgiving, which leads to overwhelm. I always think back to this lesson that I had as a youth at church. I call it the 60-second lesson. So what we would do is the teacher would say, Okay, all of you young ladies sitting there, take note of how long a full minute is. A full 60 seconds. So we'd all zip our lips and be quiet as we listened to the silence of 60 seconds. At the end of the 60-second object lesson, the teacher would say, Can you imagine how much you could have been doing during that 60 seconds? There's so many good things we can be filling that time with. Don't waste away your time here on earth. Now, I really took that object lesson to heart. And let me expand on that a little bit. Here are a few points that relate to what we feel like after we've been overgiving. So, we feel safest when giving and worthless unless helping others. We feel angry, victimized, unappreciated, and used. We try to prove we're good enough for others. And we stay busy so we don't have to think about reality. So, I definitely identified with these points and came to a place where I had to realize what was really Christ-like. And in a scripture in Matthew, it says that if we will lose ourselves for Christ's sake, we will find ourselves. But how often do we overgive, give and give and give really for our own sake or so that others will like us and not really for Christ's sake? So that had to be a definition that I recalibrated so that I could make sure it worked in my behalf. Because if I'm just doing something so that someone else will be happy or so that I can feel better about something, that's not really for Christ's sake. And then I think, well, Christ gave his whole life. Can't I just give up my whole life and lose my whole life? But the problem with that is that martyrdom is likely not our mission like Christ's was. So we really don't have to try to be a martyr. So here's the question that I ask myself when I'm about to overgive. Am I feeling bitter or better? Do I feel resentment or more loving? If you overgive, you underreceive and your well runs dry. An important distinction that I had to find was the religious voice versus the inner voice. Because there was a religious voice that said, well, this thing that you're doing to overgive will bring good. And the inner voice would say, I can't do this because I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough drive and I really can't do this thing. I would hear from church leaders, 
that they would just suggest more giving and more giving. And I came to a conclusion also with that, that I believe that their well hasn't gone dry and they haven't been giving in ways that don't match who we really are and don't fulfill our own mission. Whereas oftentimes church leaders are speaking from a place where they are filling their bucket through things that do build you spiritually. But if a person has a personality such as myself that perhaps spending all day doing something that I really don't like is not going to make me feel spiritual, it's not going to keep that bucket refilled. This is a fine line. It's hard to describe this because I think it depends on the person. But I found that my person was not one who benefited from just giving blindly in every way I could think. And I found myself in overwhelm. So let me tell you a quote that I read 10 years after that 60 second lesson that I had as a youth at church. And that quote was hanging from a chalkboard in a classroom when I was a young adult. And I have never forgotten this quote, and it made a huge impression on me. And it was, most of us spend half our time dreaming about what we could have if we didn't spend half our time dreaming. And I realized, oh, I need to be doing. I can't just dream about something. I need to do, do, do. Fast forward 30 years later, I'm at the swimming pool with my little eight-year-old niece And I was chatting with her while we were waiting for the pool to open. And she was kind of bored. And so I said, what kind of things do you like to do? And she said, I like to go to the dollar store. I'm going to go to the dollar store tomorrow. And I'm probably going to spend all of my $10 on candy. And I said, candy? Why would you want to spend $10 on candy? And at the dollar store, that's not the very best candy anyway. And then I said to her, Do you know what my 12-year-old daughter likes to buy at the dollar store? And she said, what? And I thought, well, I'll get her guessing here because we've got time before the pool opens. So I lifted up my hand to reveal kind of like someone who just is showing off their wedding ring or something like that. Kind of showing her. I was trying to show my fingernails so that she might think she could buy fingernail polish. And so when I said to her, What do you think they have at the dollar store that you could buy by showing her my hand? She said, a zombie hand? And at first I laughed and I was thinking, she's probably thinking Halloween. But it wasn't even close to Halloween. It was June. So there definitely was no zombie hands in the dollar store at this time. And I looked down and I realized that sure enough, my hands were zombie hands. And let me tell you how I got zombie hands. I got zombie hands from having my hands do lots of work they absolutely did not want to be doing. And they turned crackly and my fingernails went curvy and my hands looked awful. And I could not imagine how they got this bad. And I went to the dermatologist a few times and he said, oh, these are mother hands. There's nothing you can do about that. Just try to keep them not so much in the water. And I kind of laughed a little bit, like I'm thinking, here I am doing dishes upon dishes and baths upon baths and scrubbing out the laundry. Of course, my hands are going to get wet. But I came to realize that sure enough, I believe I was pushing my hands to an early grave because I have since found, since I found some of the things I'm going to explain to you, 
that when I do what I really, really in my heart want to be doing, both good and in a self-full way, that my hand starts to look more pleasing and I need less lotion and my fingernails start to get straighter and smoother. I don't know, kind of weird, but that's what I've noticed. So let me explain to you the old me of 10 years ago, not so that you'll feel sorry for me, but so that you can see how you relate because I know there are so many ladies out there who are feeling this overwhelm who just keep pushing themselves. So the old me of 10 years ago never got done. The dishes. There were forever stacks and stacks of dishes and more were always coming. Recipes. I had stacks and stacks of recipes and more were always coming. I had forever projects, stacks and stacks and more always coming of project upon project that I never could quite finish before I started the next one. House clutter. Though somewhat clean, my house definitely had piles of clutter all over. And my excuse was, I'm creative. This is how creative people work. But really, I came to find that if you have a cluttered mind, you are going to be cluttered in your environment also. I also had a huge to-do list that was never done. And I might try to scratch off one after another item, but it was never all the way done, which was very unsatisfying to never have a list that ever got done. I prided myself on all that I could get done. No filters, just do, do, do. And I'd hear people talk about how much more you could fit into your day and commercial bits of time that you could feel doing good things between one thing and the next. It was as if there's no such thing as a pause button. And this is what I tell myself from what I'd heard from people who are highly respected, that I was not going to stop in the middle of my day and take a rest and just sit down and rejuvenate because the thought that came into my mind that these people I respected would say was, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I must also say, when the well runs dry, you're done. So then, within those past 10 years of my feeling like there was always something to be doing and I could never get on top of anything, I ran into an article called Don't Be in a Hurry. And it talked about how as you walk down a sidewalk in a pretty park or even along a city street, you're going to run into a place of landscaping that might have a tree or a bush or some planted flowers. And these are like the breaks in our day. That it's okay to stop and take a little rest and a little break, just like these breaks in the sidewalk and in our parking lots and along the street. This article says, We have thoughtful intervals between our tasks to the green belts of grass, trees, and water that interrupt the asphalt. And that when we plan some time for contemplation and renewal, we will feel drawn to our work instead of driven to it. I remember thinking, I can't stop and sit down because if I do, I won't get back up again. So I just never stopped. Then one day I had one of those aha moments that I call the cooking conclusion. 
because I would make all sorts of healthy food. And the funny thing was I would sprout grains for my sprouted grain bread and make yogurt and make all sorts of healthy sauces and renditions of food that I thought would be better for me when I was actually chipping away at my sanity. So they actually weren't better for me because my emotional health was not doing well. But here was the cooking conclusion. I knew that God would not have me cook all day. It was not for Christ's sake that I would cook all day long. And I've come to believe that that was just a coping skill to what I had promised to do as a mother and a homemaker, to stay at home with the kids, but feel like I was doing something useful. So I just cooked and cooked and cooked. And of course, I created more dishes and more piles and more clutter, and I could never get on top of anything and the recipes and everything. So when I finally decided I am not going to do this anymore, it was a pretty big stop. It was a pretty big change in lifestyle. After several years of deciding that I just wasn't going to do this anymore, I was diagnosed with severe anemia. In fact, the doctor who had done the blood test said he'd never seen it so low before. And basically, I had shut down. I had said, I'm not going to do what I've been doing anymore, and I don't feel a drive to do anything anymore, so I am just not going to do anything, good or bad. I'm just going to stop. But the funny thing was there was one exception that I couldn't figure out. I could still go play volleyball with tons of energy. I would go on my Wednesday morning volleyball outing with 12 other ladies, and I could run for those balls. I could get under the ball so quick and I just couldn't figure out why it was I could play volleyball, but I couldn't lift a finger at home to do stuff that I should do. And I warned my husband. I said, I don't feel like doing anything and I am sorry, but that's just the way it is. We might just have to eat wraps all the time. You know, a wrap, like a tortilla, and then you put lettuce and meat and dressing and tomatoes and whatever else you want on it and you don't cook anything. You just wrap it up and eat it. So a friend explained to me that severe anemia is caused by the cells receiving insufficient nourishment because our systems have shut down, at least to a degree enough that we're not getting the nutrients and iron that we need. And so anemia is a byproduct of shutting down. At this time, I also went to a massage therapist who said, you know what, I can tell that you're burnt out by the very way you're standing. You're hunched over. Your shoulders are looking like they have burdens placed on them. I could tell that I was not living in the present. I was just leaning towards the future of what's the next thing I have to do. Based on it, the historical past of this is what I have to do, it was unrelenting. I was living from the past of what I had been doing to what I needed to be doing in the future and not living presently where my shoulders and posture could be erect and present. So during this time, I just said no to everything. There were some things I still did that I thought I could carry forward, but I certainly did the minimum with those things. So for a while, I just said no. Joseph Worthland said, Our hurry to meet the relentless demands of the clock tears away at our inner peace. And I had found that I didn't have that inner peace. When I stopped and tried to be still, my mind was still racing. 
So it took me several years of figuring out what to do. And that's what I'm going to tell you about next. And I think so differently now that I want you to be able to see the way that someone can change these thoughts so that you can figure out what to do for yourself as well if this is a problem for you. A part of me says, no one else ever gets into burnout. No one else has problems like this because I think we hide it very well. No one else would say about me that they thought that I'd hit burnout. But I can tell you, I had. And so I know that others have too, even if they don't realize it. Because if it's just a normal way of living, how do you know that you're in this place where you just can't keep going unless someone lets you know? And one of those effects is that you can't stop. One way of knowing you can't keep going is because you can't stop. If you can stop and you can start again, then you can know that you're okay. Okay, solution number one. I came up with a phrase and it's called, it's okay. You can't do this and that's okay. You did do this and that's okay. You want to do this and you are not and that's okay. And then I came up with something called fudge time. Yes, that's right. Chocolate. Fudge time. Which has two meanings to me. You do what it takes in what you have. You fudge a little and it's okay. So you might buy tacos on Taco Tuesday instead of making them. Or do things the not homemade way and it's okay. So that became a phrase for me over and over. I am not going to get up and go do the landscaping work outside and it's okay. I am not going to go and finish doing that goal that I had promised I was going to do and it's okay. And then the second meaning of fudge time is that it's okay to take time to slow down and eat fudge. Oh man, I'm going to throw in a quick recipe. Because I believe chocolate's good, right? It's an antioxidant. Take one can of sweetened condensed milk and heat it up on the stove in a pan on the stovetop. And then add one package, 12 ounces of chocolate chips to your liking. I always do the darkest chocolate possible. And mix that around. And you can take it off the burner because it should be hot enough. Stir it around and then add whatever flavoring you want. Vanilla, coconut flavor is good. Almond flavor, orange flavor. And then you just stick it into a container and let it cool. I like to do one with a lid because then what I do is once it's cooled, I stick on that lid and put a knife in there and stick it in a drawer where nobody will look. And that is my fudge for my fudge time. Now you've got an awesome recipe. Okay, the second solution is to learn to stop and take time to meditate, ponder, and understand myself. And as you begin to allow that racing mind to slow down, and for the first little while, I would say the first few years, I had to carry a piece of paper and pencil when I was doing my meditating so that I could really uncover some of those things that had to be done that were kind of in the back of my mind that had been pushed away by the busyness of what was happening at the front of my mind and write down those things on that list so that later I could take care of them because it's really hard to slow your mind down if it keeps thinking, oh yeah, I got to remember that we need to change the oil or something like that. When you begin to understand yourself in quiet contemplation, you find out what you really want to do instead of what you 
should do. In fact, should has become like a swear word in my mind. No shoulding on yourself because it usually tells you something that you really don't want to do. Because if you really wanted to do it, you would say, this is what I want to do or must do or might choose to do instead of should. So whenever I hear should, I double check it. And when you find out those things you really want to do, you start to have enough energy to do the things that you really need to do or want to do. Okay, solution number three, prioritize. It's funny because I was cub master of our local Cub Scouts for four years, and I have gained so many lessons from that opportunity that at the time I just thought, oh, I'm just helping these boys get their awards and have fun and whatever. It didn't seem like it would be that big of a thing for me, but I learned really good things about prioritizing. So I had a whole month to plan this meeting and be able to get all the awards and figure out what fun activities we would do and what kind of awesome treat we would have that the boys would think is gross and yummy at the same time. And then we'd have the pack meeting on the third Thursday every month. And what I came to realize was that I needed to be ready, totally ready to go. Everything packed up two days before a pack meeting because something would always happen in those two days in the interim. Like I would have to help the person who was helping get the awards figure out the last minute things that hadn't happened yet. Or something happened to somebody and I had to be able to help in that situation, whether it be one of the scouts or one of my own kids. And I had to make sure that I had just the regular things that a mom does, like meals put on the table and people driven to their various places that they had to go like a soccer game so that I could be able to make it to my pack meeting. So I learned to prioritize. And when you know what is the most important thing that you need to do, it makes life much easier when you say, now I choose to do this thing that I just want to do and not that I have to do. And then you can allow yourself to take a break because you've done the thing that you have to do first. And I learned that I had leaned on busyness as a qualifier to my validation of being okay because I was busy and I was important. So I learned to eliminate just being busy and instead focused on renewal and contemplation. And then also as part of the prioritizing, I would learn to have an eternal perspective And what really matters, like will this matter in a month or a year or in five years or in the eternities? Does this thing really matter? Most likely no. And life is made up of so many little things put together that end up to be something great that so many of those little things we can just not even have to worry about because the important little things are the things that become great. And so that was another thing in that eternal perspective is that by small and simple things, great things come to pass. And that you can be easier on yourself because it'll happen eventually. I love that quote. The Lord is never in a hurry and never a moment too late. And neither is the goddess. Fourth point. I'm going to do this in A, B, and C mode. A, depend on others. You don't have to do everything yourself. Even though sometimes I feel like I need to, I can depend on others. B, drop it. I can just not do it. And most of the time it's okay if I just drop it. I'm really the only one who cared. And then C, 
decide if it's a heck yes. If it's not a heck yes, I will definitely rethink it and decide if that's really something I want on my plate. So those were three Ds. Depend, drop, and decide. Depend on others, drop it, decide if it's a heck yes. And then the fifth point is the most important point, of course, which is why I said it last. Is your eye single to the glory of God? This is so important because so often we think we're doing something that may glorify God when really it's about feeding our ego or about making someone else happy. Are you in too much of a hurry to commune with God? Can you stop to pray and say your scriptures? I always laugh when someone says, oh, I was in too much of a hurry to say my morning prayer. It's like, oh, really? You are in too much of a hurry to connect with the most important being in your life. So are you concerned about the good you can do for God and not just to satisfy ego self? When we put God first, says Ezra Taft Benson, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives completely. And that I believe to be true. All of the points before, I think, support that. That the things that don't really matter are going to fall out if you put God first. What does an eye single to God's glory even look like? Well, to me, it means that whenever I do anything, I think first, who am I doing this for? And if I'm really doing it for God, then that will be my first thought. If not, it will be something along the lines of, I really want to satisfy myself. But the qualifier there is that I can be satisfied if it's something God wants for me. And most of the time it is. So it's kind of like we're working in tandem. And if I'm too worried about what other people are going to think, I am definitely not single to God's glory because I'm worried about the glory that other people might give me. So even though it's important to care about the well-being of other people, I can't care too much about what they think if it's not even along the lines of what would be something that would bring glory to God. And I would say a part of God's glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, which puts aside a lot of the little things we care about. And I love this scripture, Doctrine and Covenants 50:24. That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And that is exactly what we're hoping for, as that potential goddess is the brightness of that perfect day. I hope you will join me in awakening one million potential goddesses to their divine destiny by sharing this podcast and information with others you think would benefit. And I hope that you can continue this day realizing the good balance between giving to God, giving to self, and giving to others.